Welcome to Walkinverse. We're going to expose tyranny and share the truth. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello and welcome back. It's me, Kev. It's July 20th, 2020, and this is episode number 14. And I'm going to share with you the research behind the CDC mass stomach. Now, when we read over the guidelines from the CDC studies and reports, we need to pay careful attention to the words in which they use because it's these words that they use that dramatically change the meaning, right? In this episode, I'm going to cover a lot of the uh, cited studies and articles that is being used today to drive policies across the nation and the world. With that being said, let's get started. In the CDC's website, they have a page called Evidence for Effectiveness of Cloth Face Coverings. And I want you to pay close attention to the words that I'm going to be using here and write them down. In the summary section, they state something. They say the CDC recommends, that's not an order, it's a recommendation, that people wear cloth face coverings in public settings and when around people who don't live in your household, especially when other social distancing measures are difficult to maintain. And again, recommendation is not a requirement. The next point on this page is says cloth face coverings may help prevent people who have COVID from spreading the virus to others. Again, the word may. May is a conjunction they're using it with help. And it implies that they're not sure if it will help or not to prevent the spread. May. All right, write that down. Then they continue stating that cloth face coverings are most likely to reduce the spread of COVID-19 when they are widely used by people in public settings. Notice the word again, likely. And another point here is cloth face coverings should not be worn by children under the age of two or anyone who has trouble breathing. The word they use is should not with those who are two years of age or younger or individuals that have trouble breathing. And by keeping these terms subjective like they do, like, maybe, should, and so forth, it gives them latitude to change policies without notice or any kind of accountability. Who's keeping them in check? No one, right? But the fact remains that a face mask does indeed cause breathing issues. So the question is, does wearing a face covering cause you any issues with your breathing? Because if it does, you should not be wearing one. Now, in the main section of the recommendation, they mention those who should not. So then, who should wear a mask? And again, the CDC says they recommend all people two years of age and older wear a face cloth. Now, didn't they say earlier, a minute ago, that no one two years of age or younger should wear a mask? So then, which is it, CDC? Mask or not to mask? That's the question that I ask. Anyway, with that question, let's go on to the next statement. They say COVID can be spread by people who do not have symptoms and do not know they are infected. Again, they're using the word can, and that implies they don't know, and therefore they're making policies based on rough guesses. And to prove this point, I'm going to read an article dated June 8th from CNBC, and it stated this. WHO officials now say that while asymptomatic spread can occur, it is not the main way it's being transmitted. You got that? So they're, they're using the word can, and this implies they're uncertain. So they're not sure how it spreads, or even if asymptomatic spread is possible. I'm, I'm going to continue on with a doctor from the WHO. And she says this, is Dr. Maria Van 
I believe it's Kirchhoff. From the data we have, it still seems to be rare that an asymptomatic person actually transmit onward to a secondary individual. Now, this is the leading expert of the disease and uh, zoonosis unit. Then she again says, it's very rare. And I quote again, a different quote from her. She says, the number of reports from countries who are doing very detailed contact tracing, she said, they're following asymptomatic cases. They're following contacts. And they're not finding secondary transmissions onward. It's very rare. And again, they don't know if asymptomatic is a cause or not, and yet they're locking people down and forcing these draconian measures on them. So that again, what are the exceptions to the rule? Because remember, every rule has exceptions, right? And they are this. People who are deaf or hard of hearing should not wear a mask. People with intellectual and development disabilities, mental health conditions, or other sensory sensitivities, they would probably have a challenge wearing a mask. And then here we go again, young children, preschool or early elementary age. So then, earlier they claimed with the kids that only those under two, and now it's preschool or elementary. So it seems to me that the CDC is in the business of constant confusion as it allows them to change policies on a dime and drive any narrative in which they desire. And they continue, and they say people should not wear face coverings while engaged in activities that may cause the cloth covering to become wet. Humidity. So if you're out running around, uh, you know, near moisture, don't wear it. It'll make you sick. People who are engaged in high-intensity activities, like running, should not wear a cloth because it will cause difficulty with breathing. Go figure. People who work in a setting where cloth face coverings may increase the risk of heat-related illnesses or cause safety concerns due to introduction of a hazard. For instance, straps getting caught in machinery. All right. I'm not going to read any more from that page, but now we're going to look at the terms, because before we dive into the CDC guidelines and so forth, and the cited articles, I want to really spend some time looking at terms they use, because these terms, which are subjective, are guiding policies and taking away all of our freedoms. And the first word is recommend it. Recommend is a verb used to put forward an idea that is suitable for a purpose or a role. It's used to offer a suggestion or make something appear appealing or desirable. So when you think about the word recommend it, think about commercials and marketing and how they always are recommending and suggesting something to you. That's a recommendation. The word may is used to express a possibility, to ask for or give permission to something, to express hope. Again, it's not concrete. It's not definitive. It's a possibility. Something may stop or it may help, but I'm not sure that it might. It may. Likely. It's used to modify a noun to make it appear suitable or seem that it might happen or be true. So, for example, this word, the vaccine will likely work. They're not sure. Wearing a mask will likely slow the spread. It's likely, but there's no guarantee. The next word is presume. Presume supposes that something is the case based on probability, not fact. It's presumed a mask will slow the spread. Again, it's not a guarantee. Suggest is to put something forward for consideration or cause someone to think something exists or is the actual case. Suggest. In other words, a suggestion does not have to exist, right? It only has to do the job of making you believe it does. Like the hidden enemy, 
Hence the power of suggestion as used in movies and commercials. It helps you buy into a concept or a theory that they are trying to sell you. Think mainstream media. Everything's a suggestion. It's not based on fact. Plausible. Plausible is used to make something seem reasonable or probable. It's used to create arguments intended to deceive you. And last but not least is the word potentially. Potentially is used to define something that is possible, but it hasn't happened yet, but it's possible. All the words they use are carefully selected, just like any attorney. When they write a document, each word is hand-picked. And a lot of times these words are used to confuse, deceive, and allow these individuals to change policies at the flip of a switch without question or thought. And that's why they use ambiguous words. It's a tactic, and it works extremely well, as we're seeing. Now we're going to jump into the um, studies and cited articles. And as I read through these, listen to the words and just try to understand what they're saying and then what they're doing. So the first study we're going to read about was from July 15, 2009. It's called a quantitative assessment of the efficiency of surgical and N95 masks to filter influenza virus in patients with acute influenza infection. Quote, surgical N95 masks were equally effective in preventing the spread of PCR-detectable influenza. Now, the recommendation for wearing masks depends on the prevention of disease transmission or acquisition. They say that if prevention is something that's critical, they recommend using a routine surgical or procedure mask worn by the infected patient. They didn't mention a cloth mask. If the goal is to prevent acquisition, getting disease from an infected patient, the choice of mask would be between a surgical or an N95 type of mask, but then even that choice is dependent on whether the outbreak of a pandemic is happening or it's something that's seasonal. Again, it's speculative. Now, regarding surgical masks, those masks are designed to trap respiratory secretions expelled from the wearer by the person who is ill, and it can help prevent transmission to others. Now, these masks, the surgical ones, are not designed to stop the inhalation of airborne particles, so their ability to protect from getting into disease can vary greatly. The N95 masks are designed to reduce exposure from airborne particles, but only if those particles are larger or equal to 0.3 micrometers. Coronavirus is 0.125. I think the flu is around 0.08. And even then, they presume the mask is properly fitted to help protect the wearer from transmission. And so, fit is everything. This study that they did with with this one here consisted of 26 patients who were clinically diagnosed with the flu. 19 were confirmed positive using the PCR test via nasal swabs. And I'll touch on this later because the PCR tests are not accurate, nor should they be considered, it should be considered the gold standard. And the inventor of the test was somebody by the name of Dr. Carrie Mullis. He's pretty firm on that point. And also on nasal swabs, if you do a little bit of research, they're all coming from China. They're all contaminated. Now, again, this test was done quite a long time ago. But the point being is you're seeing tests done today, the nasal swabs being used, many of them coming from China are contaminated. That's a fact. You can look that up. And the conclusion on this study is more guidelines. (laughs) That's what they actually said. And I quote, current guidelines recommending surgical or procedural masks must be worn by patients with suspected influenza to limit the viral dissemination to others. Suspect it. The findings also support the guidelines that N95 respirators 
designed to prevent disease acquisition may not be necessary because they appear to offer no additional benefit over surgical masks. You get that? The greater filtration capacity of N95 masks may have some benefit as long as they are worn properly and tolerated. So again, the N95 mask does not guarantee complete protection from infection or stopping the spread of flu-type diseases. However, the mask can help only if it's properly fitted to the wearer. The study was completed with this advice, mask use for individuals with severe influenza. In other words, if you're healthy, you should not be wearing a mask, period. Study number two, testing the efficiency of homemade masks. Would they protect in an influenza pandemic? Dated August 2013. In this study, they examined homemade masks as an alternative to commercial. For the test, they picked different common household materials to find the effectiveness against bacterial and viral aerosols. To test these masks, participants coughed into them while wearing. For source control, they used a um, Molen-like healthcare barrier 4239EN14683 class 1 face mask. To test the fit factor for against leakage, they use a TSI port account plus respirator fit tester and the N95 companion module model 8095. And to check for leakage, the volunteers perform each of the following exercises for 96 seconds. One, they did normal breathing. Two, they did deep breathing. Three, they moved their head from side to side. Four, head moved up and down. Five, talking aloud like reading a paper or something. And six, bending at the waist as they touch their toes. And number seven, again, normal breathing. Now remember, the coronavirus protocol is 0.125. And to test filter efficiency, of the mask, they use two microorganisms known to survive the stresses caused by aerosolization. One was called the Bacillus atrophaeus, I can't pronounce that, A-T-R-O-P-H-A-E-U-S, and its size is from 0.95 to 1.25. And again, the coronavirus is 0.125, so it's smaller. And the bacteriophage, MS2 bacteria, which is around 23, nanometers uh, or 0.023 micrometers in diameter. Each participant kept the mask on for 15-minute duration. They concluded that all the materials tested had limited ability to block these aerosols, okay? And as expected, the surgical mask had the best filtration efficiency against both microorganisms. Now, they tried a T-towel and it had a relatively high filtration efficiency for both bacteria, but breathing was difficult. That leads to other problems with mask fit. Two of the tests were performed, and they used a pillowcase and 100% cotton t-shirt. They found these materials to be the most suitable for an improvised face mask. Now, the discussion they had around the study was this. They said that, well, actually, what they pointed out was it's a seal between the face mask and your face is critical in reducing exposure to contaminants. If the fit around the mouth and nose are not proper, then the infection or the virus can flow between you and the mask. Therefore, it makes the mask that you're wearing zero benefit or a little benefit. And the materials used, again, were brand new, never worn before. And they continue on to say that a mask that is worn, dirty, or damp, it's not as effective as it was in its original condition, which makes sense. So that means that when you're out there wearing your mask all day, is it really helping you or is it hurting you? And in addition, it says that a mask does hinder your ability to breathe. 
and they caution those who have conditions with breathing to take that into consideration as it might be impractical for you to wear one. Again, this is coming from the CDC side articles. Also, when a person breathes heavier because of the mask, it also will increase leakage. And one last discussion point is that homemade masks must be continually cleaned and changed. And then in Canada, they also recommend that you throw the mask out after each use. Now, the conclusion and the findings are this. They found that, well, they say that they suggest that a homemade mask should only be considered as a last resort to prevent droplet transmission from infected individuals. In other words, they really don't know if a mask will stop the spread or not. And they continue on and they say that wearing a mask in public areas may impede, slow the spread of an infectious disease by preventing both the inhalation of infectious droplets and their subsequent exhalation and dissemination. However, the evidence of proportionate benefit from widespread use of face masks is unclear. And again, the study shows they don't know. They, they continue on to say face masks may prevent, again, the word may, contamination of workspaces during an outbreak of influenza or other droplet spread communicable diseases by reducing aerosol transmission. And then another important fact here about these studies is that they're all mainly performed in healthcare workers in control settings. For example, they say to date, studies on the efficiency and reliability of face masks have concentrated on the use by healthcare workers. They are also more likely to be trained in the use of masks and test and fit tested than the general public. Should the supply of standard commercial face masks not meet demand, it would be useful to know whether improvised masks could provide any protection to others from those who are infected. So again, they're saying they don't know if a mask homemade will work to protect you from those who are infected. Yet, the CDC cites and uses these studies to allow political pundits that we're seeing today enforce policies based upon opinion, guesses, and general recommendations. And on that point, I want to leave the study with these four following points. One, a protective mask may reduce the likelihood of infection, but it will not eliminate the risk, particularly when a disease has more than one route of transmission, which it does, the eyes, the nose, the mouth, and so forth. Two, any mask, no matter how efficient at filtration or how good the seal, will have minimal effect if not used with in conjunction with other preventative measures. What are those? We'll get to that later. Three, an improvised face mask should be viewed as the last possible alternative, right? Homemade one, like the governors around the country are telling you to put on a bandana. They're saying no. <laughs> That's the last option you should be doing. And number four, these homemade Mass would provide the wearer's little protection from microorganisms from other persons who are infected with respiratory diseases. As a result, we would not recommend the use of homemade face masks as a method of reducing transmission of infection from aerosols, droplets. All right? So to protect you from infection via aerosols, they do not recommend you wearing a homemade mask, period. So. MSN, mainstream media, these health officials are lying to you outright, and it's disgusting. All right, study number three. This one is interesting. It was dated February 21st, 2020. Presumed asymptomatic carrier transmission of COVID-19. Here we go. This case is based on a family of five living in China during the outbreak. 
The findings cited are used to enforce policies the world over, as we are seeing. So we need to keep in mind what they say about asymptomatic spread. The overview of the study is as follows, quote, To our knowledge, transmission of the novel coronavirus that causes coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19, from an asymptomatic carrier with normal chest computed tomography, CT, findings have not been reported. That said, the five patients had a fever and respiratory symptoms. Four were symptomatic and one was asymptomatic. All participants had CT scans and PRC testing, sorry, PCR testing via nasal swabs, all right? And there's two critical issues that I mentioned before with these methods. One, many of the swabs coming out of China are contaminated. And number two, PCR test generates inaccurate results, even though they are considered the gold standard. And again, I'll follow up on that in another episode. Now, the conclusion of this report. The results were as follows. Patient 1, presumed asymptomatic carrier, results of RT-PCR testing were negative on January 26, positive on January 28th, two days later, and negative again on February 5th and 8th, that's 10 days later. The sequence of events suggest, again that word there, suggests that the coronavirus may have been transmitted by the asymptomatic carrier. Now notice how the results are inconsistent and that the word choice is used to draw a conclusion is presumed, suggests, and may. Okay, so you're saying this is evidence that we have asymptomatic transmission. Now they're not saying it in the study, but people are today. And yet these studies are, are telling you that no, they're not. The results are inconsistent. The, the words they're using are non-conclusive and they allow for a great amount of latitude. Okay. Now, the results are dependent on how the tests were performed as well. So with this PCR test, you know, if you don't collect it properly, if it has a, if it's bad quality, if it's performed incorrectly, it can result in false negatives or false positive readings. And going back to patient number one, in the second test, they stated this, they said her second test was unlikely to have been a false positive and was used to define infection with the coronavirus that causes COVID-19. So they're assuming it's an infection. They're assuming it was not a false positive. They're assuming it was positive. They don't know. And yet they're saying that this is asystematic and this is what they're doing to lock you in your home. And, And to really drive this point home, they say this, the mechanism by which asystematic carriers could acquire and transmit the coronavirus that causes COVID-19 requires further study. So they don't know. And one last point to touch on is this, which I'll cover in a follow-up report. And that is, again, the gold standard PCR test is inaccurate. And it should not be used for the purpose they're using it today. It was not designed, designed for testing viruses like we're seeing or whatever it is. This was also reiterated by the inventor, Dr. Kerry Mullis. I would write that name down and go do a little digging on him. Interesting guy. Now, I believe personally, the reason why they're using this test is because of its inconsistencies, as it enables them to drive policies and more importantly, continue the narrative to collect your DNA and to track it in a global database. And again, I'll follow up on that later as well. And that takes us to study number four, potential utilities of mass wearing and instant hand hygiene for fighting SARS-CoV-2, dated March 31st, 2020. 
This study suggests that SARS can be transmitted through droplets and aerosols. Again, suggest. Their findings were homemade masks made of cloth alone may not have the ability to block this virus and therefore offers no protection against it. A few notes from the study concluded that medical masks could not reduce infection rates of some viral respiratory diseases. Therefore, some countries oppose the use of medical masks in everyday social settings. But yet here we're forcing everybody to wear them in every setting, right? They continued and stated they recommend mask wearing and instant hand hygiene when needed, not all the time. But here's a twist. And I started seeing this in every report when I started looking for it. They have a recommendation of hand washing with masks and they say it's crucial to reduce fatal cases, even though the death rate right now is pretty much nil. Because as we learned that a lot of numbers were purposely overinflated on purpose and some nefarious things are going on behind the scenes. Yet, they need this combination of protections, and they said this actually, so they can market effective vaccines against the coronavirus. You get that? They actually said in this report that they need this combination to reduce fatal cases so they can market effective vaccines. And this implies the entire mass-demic scenario is a social engineering experiment and an exercise for them to push a mandatory mRNA vaccine, mRNA, write that down vaccine, that they will market. And you're already seeing trials on it now. And what you need to remember is this is not a normal vaccine. It has never been licensed for humans ever. It has serious side effects and it does modify your DNA, changes who you are. And these companies that make these vaccines have immunity, complete immunity. If anything happens to you, you get sick, you die, it's your problem, not theirs. This is not a vaccine like a flu vaccine. This is a, a gel with nanotechnology, and it changes who you are as a person. It modifies the DNA. I need you to write that down and seriously research it. Now, the ads, I can already see them running now. You know, just imagine this Christmas time. Save grandma. Get a vaccine so we can track you. Make sure grandma is safe. Your loved ones deserve it. This is the kind of crap they're going to do because you're already seeing it now. Okay. All right, study number five. This one's pretty much, I'm just going to read the, uh, the quote from it, but it's called the Rapid Expert Consultation of the Possibility of Bioaerosol Spread of COVID-2 for the COVID-19 Pandemic, dated April 1st, 2020. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was a joke. Currently, available research supports the possibility that SARS could be spread via bioaerosols generated directly by patients' exhalation. Now, you see here they use possibility and could when you excel. They don't know. One must be cautious in inputting the findings with one respiratory virus to another respiratory virus, as each virus may have its own effective infectious inoculum and distinct aerosolization characteristics. That was a mouthful. Studies that rely on PCR to detect the presence of viral RNA may not represent viable virus in sufficient amounts to produce infection. Nevertheless, the presence of viral RNA in air droplets and aerosols indicate the possibility of viral transmission via these routes. Again, they don't know. And it is these experts with their opinions that are driving policy to strip away our rights every single day. This is all speculation. Study number six, pre-symptomatic transmissions of SARS-CoV-2 dated April 10th, 2020. Again, this report relies on the PCR test, which is known to be inaccurate. And again, I'm going to do a whole episode on that. 
and is not designed for the type of scenarios in which they are using it today. And it's an important point to remember when we read these are the choice of the words they use, because these studies are driving policies for masks, vaccines, and healthcare directives. Now, this report states the following, quote, Presymptomatic transmissions might occur through generation of respiratory droplets or possibly through indirect transmission. By them using the word might impossible here, it allows for fear to spread, guesswork to rule, and enables further attacks on our churches and First Amendment rights. Because they're saying that by speaking, I'll quote this, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Quote, speech and other vocal activities, such as singing, have been shown to generate air particles with the rate of emission corresponding to voice loudness. Now, we're talking about viruses here, and they're bringing up singing. This statement has nothing to do with the virus. It asserts that speaking distributes air particles. That's a very true statement. And it supports the cancel culture narrative. It further pushes these points in news articles that I saw as well. This basically is attacking the churches. Quote, news outlets have reported that during a choir practice in Washington on March 10th, pre-systematic transmission likely played a role in SARS-CoV-2 transmission to approximately 40 to 60 members. You see that? Likely played. So they're stealing fear, and now they're going after the churches and singing because that played likely played a role. And again, what kills me about this is when you use the word likely, it's not conclusive, and when you use the word approximately, it's a guess. And so the mainstream media's false narrative and cited speculation derive the hype to attack religion. And you're seeing mostly Christians being attacked. Our religion is protected under the First Amendment, and they're trampling all over it. Another quote of interest is this. The possibility of pre-symptomatic transmission of SARS-CoV-2 increases the challenges of COVID-19 containment measures. And here we see a chance of transmission increases containment, yet they claim it's only a possibility. So then let's expand on this a little bit. Quote, Magnitude of this impact is dependent upon the extent and duration of transmissibility while a patient is pre-symptomatic, which to date has not been clearly established. I hope you can start seeing the games they're playing with the words they choose. And how can non-conclusive reports be used to strip away your freedoms without a single shot fired? Think about that. We are giving up our freedoms over speculation and guesswork. We're handing it to them on a silver platter. We're allowing them to do whatever they want. Today, it's wear a mask. Tomorrow is take a vaccine. And that vaccine will have nanotechnology in it that will be used to track you hooked up to your smart device or smartphone. Study number seven. This one was dated April 24th, 2020. Aerosol filtration efficiency of common fabrics used in respiratory cloth mask. In this study, it claimed the following. There is limited knowledge available on the performance of various commonly available fabrics used in cloth mask. You get that? They don't know. They continue. They need to evaluate filtration efficiencies as a function of aerosol particulates in sizes in the 10 nm and the 10 micrometer range, which is particularly relevant for respiratory virus transmission. And with that said, they admit the information they have is lacking. It's limited on how different materials perform with particle sizes required for virus transmission. And again, they reiterate in this report as well that the fit is critical, and that if you don't have a properly fitted face covering, leakage will occur, 
and it will allow the virus to enter and it renders the cloth mask ineffective. Another point in this study is how cloth masks do not have an um, elastometric gasket, which is used to increase mass effectiveness and reduce leakage. And it's interesting how this known fact has been out there, and yet officials who demand you to wear a mask don't even bring it up because they know that the mask right now and, vi- and the virus is political because it's an election year. It's, it's quite disturbing what's going on. The conclusion of this study says this, that um, in, a just, in a nutshell, is that cotton, uh, natural silk, and chiffon can provide suitable protection for viruses between 10 nm and 6 micrometers, 6.0. If cotton is selected, it needs to be in multiple layers, folded over, it needs to have a high thread count, and any kind of porous material needs to be avoided at all costs. With the N95 mask, if chosen, it has to be fitted. It will offer more protection than cloth, but is not guaranteed to protect the wearer 100% either. And I'm going to close the study on these three points. One, opening and gaps around facial contours and edges will lead to leakage and reduce performance. Two, leakage around the cloth mask reduces inefficiencies. Sorry, wrong word reduces efficiencies by 50% or more due to improper fitting. And three, humidity from breathing and repeated use and cleaning of the mask reduces their performance greatly. So really, you need to be throwing that mask away every time you wear it and you come home. It doesn't maintain the effectiveness once it's no longer new. Study number eight, respiratory virus shedding an excelled breath and efficiency of face mask, dated May 27, 2020. In this report, they established the following. Surgical face masks could, they're not sure, prevent transmission of human coronavirus and influenza viruses from symptomatic individuals. Some health authorities recommend, again, it's an opinion, they're not sure, the mask be worn by ill individuals to prevent onward transmission people who are sick, not people who are healthy. Now, a little background on surgical masks. Quote, surgical masks were originally introduced to protect patients, people who are sick, from wound infections or contamination from surgeons, the wearer, during surgical procedures. Most of the existing evidence on the filtering efficiency of face masks and respirators come from in vitro experiments with non biological particles, not viruses that can kill you. It may not be generalizable to infectious respiratory virus droplets. There is little information on the efficiency of face masks in filtering respiratory viruses and reducing viral release from an individual with respiratory infections. Our results indicate that aerosol transmission is a potential, maybe something in the future, but not sure, that's what the word potential means, potential mode of transmission for coronaviruses as well as influenza viruses and rhinovirus. And in their study, they, again, use very ambiguous terms and a lot of guesswork, and yet these are what is drafting policies to keep the world shut. And on top of that, they say they have a few limitations, and one of them is around breathing out, exhaling. Now, remember how earlier I talked about the assault on churches and singing? 
and how they suggested it could be the cause of transmission. Well, here, again, they contradict themselves. This is a different report. They claim that many of the participants had undetectable viral shedding and exhaled breath for each of the viruses studied. Quote, they did not confirm the ineffectivity of coronavirus or rhinovirus detected in exhaled breath. So basically the infection rate, they, they didn't detect it. They didn't confirm it. They are uncertain if exhaling can cause infection, yet they're banning singing in churches across California right now today. And they continue with the report and say this. In a present study, we were able to identify infectious influenza and aerosols we did not attempt to culture coronavirus or rhinovirus from the corresponding aerosol samples. The question then is, how do you know if it is spread or not? How do you know it's spread? You don't. You make guesses and you call it political science. That's what they're doing. It's all politics. Study number nine. Prevalence of asymptomatic SARS-CoV-2 infection dated June 3rd, 2020. I'm going to cite this straight, and it says, it has been suspected, there's that word again, suspected, not sure, that infected persons who remain asymptomatic play a significant role in the ongoing pandemic, but the relative number and effect have been uncertain. Again, they don't know. But why are they keeping the fear alive? Is it for social engineering? What's the reason? Well, We're going to quote them again, and we'll let the answer speak for itself. Here we go. Quote, to supplement conventional diagnostic testing, innovative tactics for public health surveillance, such as crowdsourcing digital wearable data and monitoring sewage sludge might be helpful. The prevalence of asymptomatic SARS-CoV-2 infection, however, has remained uncertain. In other words, the end game for for us is total tracking and surveillance of every step of our life. In an earlier report, I covered this and showed how currently today they have low-orbit satellites for video surveillance and positional tracking, geocords. And the pushes point forward, these comments were in the discussion section of the report, and they're interesting. They said this, as earlier noted, the data and studies reviewed here are imperfect in many ways. The ideal study of asymptomatic SARS-CoV-2 infection has not yet been done, and yet we're being locked down. So no proper studies have been done to prove asymptomatic, yet regarding prisons, they claim that it's possible, but not sure if contagious respiratory virus can spread quickly throughout the population, yet we're seeing governors and mayors across the country releasing dangerous prisoners back into the population based on non-conclusive reports and recommendations. That's actually obstruction of justice, and it breaks Title 18, Section 242, 2033, and 2034. Again, look those up if you haven't already. And to wrap this report up, they give you their perfect world in it, and they said that it's where every human across the globe would have daily and continuous testing via technology. But until they have this technology, your internet devices are the tools they choose to monitor every step. Now, what kind of technology can actually track you 24-7 that's not your devices? Well, it's the mRNA vaccine. 
Once that's released, it will contain nanotechnology that's required to track your every step. It's a gel that they inject inside you. And it will basically report to either those low orbit satellites or to your devices, which means that you can never get rid of it. And once it alters your DNA, you're done. It makes you a product of the biotech company that created it because they owe, they own the patent to it. And I want to be very clear here again. I know I said it earlier. This is an unlicensed vaccine technology that has never been used on human beings ever. This was fast tracked. They didn't even do animal tests on this. They went straight to human beings. You're the guinea pig. Resist this at all costs. This is not a normal flu vaccine. This is dangerous and deadly and irresponsible. Period. Study number 10. This one's titled Evidence Supporting Transmission of Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, Coronavirus 2, While Presymptomatic or Asymptomatic. Dated July 2020. This is current. And it's interesting because they drew the conclusions from a technique called rapid literature review. And these reviews have many limitations, such as the following six, but not limited to one, the search is not comprehensive. Two, in some cases, there's only maybe one viewer going over this. Three, non blinded appraisal and selection. So it could be biased. Four, limited cautious interpretation of the findings. Five, no universally accepted definition of what a rapid review is. And six, be mindful of limitations and potential biases when cutting corners. You get that? So this report's based on that. And with that said, here are some of the findings from the report. They found more inconclusive information that again is driving this pandemic to new unprecedented levels. And regarding evidence, they stated the following. Currently, SARS-CoV-2 infection is primarily diagnosed by detection of viral RNA via reverse transcription PCR, RT-PCR, or by viral culture. Although PCR identifies viral RNA and cannot determine whether infection virus is present, infectiousness can be inferred from cycle thresholds. So again, you can see that the evidence that they claim is speculation and guesswork because they're inferring it from something. And, and you know, the last time I checked the dictionary, evidence was based on fact, not political narratives. It just shows you that the deeper you dive into these studies, it just blows your mind at how everything is so loosely worded. And also, another important thing to note is that many of these reports also have limitation clauses. And with this report, there was also that. And they found the limitations were around the modeling because of insufficient data laced with a lot of inconsistencies. Yet these are the models that are used to destroy our civil liberties and freedoms. And the last thing I want to discuss with this report, I found this uh, near the bottom, which I usually always do. It's about how they're going to force mRNA vaccines with tracking technology. Quote, they say this, if the COVID-19 pandemic is found to be driven by undetected asymptomatic, that's what they're going to use. Oh, you're asymptomatic, but we're seeing it's not really the case. Or mildly symptomatic, they're going to need new innovations in disease detection and prevention beyond exhaustive contact tracing, mass testing, and isolation of asymptomatic contacts may be needed. 
So they're going to social engineer you and just lock you down to make you beg for a vaccine, to give you freedom back. You need to really think about that. And again, before you consider any vaccine for COVID, it's highly political. And you, you need to remember that most of the data, if not all of it, is speculation. And the speculation is the key for the total and complete control of your life. If only people would read these reports, like I'm reading with you today, they would know how badly the government officials, healthcare authorities, and agencies are deceiving them. And ignorance, ignorance, <laughs> ignorance is no excuse to lose your freedoms, period. So I really need each of you to research for yourself and turn off the mainstream media because they are the devil. Study number 11, performance of fabrics for homemade masks against spread of respiratory infections through droplets, a quantitative study dated July 8th, 2020. In this study, they discuss how homemade masks and several implications beside breathability and droplet blocking efficiency. One of the issues with homemade masks is that um, they're known to soak up and hold the droplets, which makes them pretty much a cesspool of viruses and bacteria contamination. So they don't really slow the spread whatsoever. They can actually increase it because it's filled with the bacteria. It just stays in it all day when you're wearing it. Another critical point to remember is that some of the ranges of these viruses are between 0.08 for flu-like and 0.125 for cold viruses like coronavirus. And that means the particles in this range can pass through the pores of the fabric without even touching it. Just right through it, right? And then the virus enters into your system. So you're getting infected. So these cloth masks, they just don't work. And their conclusion is as follows. We conclude that during pandemics, and mask shortages, homemade face coverings with multiple layers can be effective against transmission of respiratory infection through droplets. Mask wearing can be an effective strategy in conjunction with social distancing, testing, contact tracing, and other interventions to reduce transmission. And again, we're seeing a push for mRNA vaccines with nanotechnology that tracks your every waking hour as your freedom slips on by. And this is all based on non-conclusive reports and opinions without scientific facts to back it. It's dangerous, and it's a game they're playing at our expense. And one last point is AppyJet. There is a contract given by the DOD to them to give a couple hundred million syringes that are RFID <laughs> and traceable. So. This is getting pretty serious, folks. This isn't a joke. So this this virus, this pandemic, is not what you think it is. It's being used to deceive and manipulate you to track your every move. And I'm telling you right now that if you don't have this vaccine, you're probably not going to be able to go to the store, buy anything, or even go to work. There are, you're already seeing it happening with masks across the country. Each of us need to take a stand and put a stake in the ground because if you don't, nobody else is going to do it for you we're the last line of defense for ourselves. So stand up and do not comply with the insanity in which they're pushing. If you enjoy the episode, please consider a membership at $5 a month. You'll gain access to all past, present, and future e-reports and books, as well as member-only content. The link is in the description of the episode. If you have any questions or comments, please send me an email at walkinverse at protonmail.com. W-A-L-K-I-N- V-E-R-S-E at P-R-O-T-O-N-M-A-I-L dot com. 
And until next time, keep the faith, stay safe, and peace.